and welcome to For the Love of Podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest. She's the creator of Pineapple Podcast Academy and the author of the book, Pineapple Podcasting, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Creating, Launching, and Monetizing a Podcast with Zero Experience and on a Shoestring Budget. She's a self-described part hippie and part tech geek. She's a teacher, a speaker, a writer, and definitely an amazing podcaster. Her show, The Essential Oil Revolution, has over 5 million downloads, and we're going to talk about how she got there. We're going to talk about the importance of finding the right show topic, why picking a title is literally the most important thing you can do, how to attract a loyal following, and how to effectively monetize your show. So without further ado, I want to welcome Samantha Lee Wright to For the Love of Podcast. Welcome. Hi, Billy. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. I have a confession to make. I also am a fan of Taco Bell. So let's just start there. What is your favorite thing to eat at Taco Bell? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you found that. I can tell you've done your research. So love it. Um, you know, because I am, a, a my podcast, it's about holistic living. It's about health and wellness. But I think it's important for people to understand like, yeah, I love essential oils. I love health and wellness. I'm also driving through Taco Bell at, you know, one o'clock in the morning <laughs> after a night out with the friends. Because <laughs> My favorite thing there is the uh, cinnamon twist. Oh, okay. Love them. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Yeah. So you actually included this in your bio. I'm not afraid to indulge in Taco Bell, which definitely <laughs> made me smile, made me crack up. So I'm a Nacho Bell Grande man. I must admit. I, That's, I was going to say that. It's like number two. We have so much in common. We were talking earlier about our, our coffee. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, not totally. Bell Grande is definitely on the top of my my midnight munchies. Oh, so good, right? So while we're talking about cheap food, you teach people how to make a podcast on a shoestring budget because that's what you did, right? You went from food stamps and struggling by your own admission, living on $17,000 a year, all the way to running what now is a six-figure business largely fueled by the success of your podcast, which as I mentioned, has over 5 million downloads. So if you were to go back in time, get in your DeLorean and think about what happened when you first started, who was influencing you? Who was mentoring you either through watching videos or somebody that you had a coach or anybody? What did they teach you in the beginning that stands out now? Yeah, great question. My mentors back in the day when we were, we were a family of four living on that. So I think if I was just me living on 17,000 a year, I could probably do it all right. But for a family of four, that's, uh, that's tough. But back in the day, my mentors were podcasters. I let like your show. I love the title of your show for the love of podcasts because I love podcasts and I've loved them longer than I've been a podcaster myself. So I was running a business at the time. I'd just been dabbling in like a home essential oil business. That was my, aha, maybe this is the way out of poverty. Let's do this thing. Let's be one of those moms in the pickup line smelling like patchouli and lavender and inviting <laughs> everyone to oil parties. Like I was, I was that person. So just running a business not having any business background. I never graduated college. I had no idea how to be an entrepreneur, but I'm doing it anyway. So my school was podcasts. And so I was listening to John Lee Dumas. I'm listening to Shaleen Johnson. I'm listening to Pat Flynn. You know, all of those uh, mentors, Seth Godin, like just all of those, you know, big, uh, big heroes back in the day. And they're, they're still heroes to this day. Thank goodness for podcasts and thank goodness for those people 
willing to share their mentorship for free for someone like mm. me. Yes, I, you know, could people can buy their courses and they have great products that I would have loved to have been able to afford back in the day, but I just simply couldn't. So I just obsessively consumed business podcasts, marketing podcasts, all of those things. And it built up a level of confidence in me. It built up a level of knowledge in me that I didn't have before. And, you know, I'm trying to, to answer your question, whittle it down to a piece of advice or a couple, you know, things that really uh, struck me early on. And I'd say the most influential thing was John Lee Dumas. And, you know, he put out that free podcast course that I took. And when I was just thinking of starting my own podcast, I was like, I don't know anything about this. So I found his free podcast course. And that was just hands down the most influential uh, helpful thing that I needed at that time, especially his advice. And I give this advice all the time because it's really crucial to my success was niche down, niche down again, and then niche down till it hurts. He said those mm. words and I really took that to heart and is, um, I'd say the number one factor in my success. I love that. And I actually have that in my notes because I, I want to explore that topic. And when we think about niching down to your point and to his point, it almost becomes painful. And the reason it becomes painful is we don't want to say no to something. We don't want to narrow our scope. I think most people are afraid of narrowing their scope. Part of the reason I started this show is I felt my other show was too broad, right? And I, I didn't want to stop doing that show, but I want to do something that was more narrow. And I could probably even go more narrow, right? Like what about podcasting? And so but let's start with titles. Because ultimately, the title is a reflection of the of the niching down. And you say that the title is actually one of, if not the biggest factor of your success. And it's so important. You say it's literally the most important thing you can do. So why is that? Why is the title so dang important? Yeah, because of SEO, because of search option and search engine optimization. You know, when someone opens up their podcast app and they're looking for something to listen to. Sometimes they'll scroll, sometimes they'll browse. Sure. But a lot of times people come to their podcast app already knowing, you know, oh, I'm interested in learning about this thing, or I'm interested in hearing about the latest news about this one specific topic. So they're going on and they're searching for those words in the search bars of podcast apps themselves. And from lots of research done on which shows get ranked highest on those search results within places like Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening, one of the biggest factors is keywords that are in your show title, your official show title. So for me, and especially for anyone out there who has a niche podcast, people who are searching for your show think about what keywords they're going to be searching for. So for me, pretty obvious people who are interested in essential oils are probably going to search for the word essential oils in a podcast app. And I mean, to this day, just today, I was reading an email from someone that said, hey, I, I stumbled upon your podcast because I searched mm. for the word essential oils. And, you know, yours was one that came up. And they also said I was weeding through and yours was my favorite, which always, you know, it's a little ego boost for the day. <laughs> but, um, awesome. you know, that that findability for mm. your people that you're you're trying to reach, there's really nothing that can can beat it, you know. And so when I talk about SEO, I'm very passionate about this topic for podcasts. I don't, I'm not referring to your SEO, your your Google result, you know, becoming number one on on Google or having your podcast website itself rank high. I really focus on how do you get your show to show up 
within podcast app search results. Because again, especially for a niche topic or a small industry, why not take advantage of that? Why not make mm. yourself more findable from the people who are searching for those keywords? So beautiful. And I, and I really love the distinction that you made between just maybe what people perceive as SEO, but you're specifically talking about when in an app, when in a player, what somebody enters, how do you set yourself up for success there? And what you've said, and I think it's such brilliant advice. I wish you were by my side when I first started because I'll be blunt. I think a lot of people, including myself, they try to come up with clever or creative titles. And what I advise people to do is it's better to be boring and descriptive than clever and creative. It's just because you want people to find it, right? And so we talk about this niche down, niche down, niche down, and niche down again until it hurts. So for you, you you start at the top. Let's let's break this down for you and your show. You you could have done something very generally on health and wellness, right? Right. So what does that funnel look like? So health and wellness, and how did you narrow it all the way to where you're at today? What are those different steps? Yeah, sure. And and I want to go back to the the SEO and the cool name versus the SEO heavy name. I want to I want to get back to that because I have yeah, a good pl- tip for people. Please. But to answer your question first, because it is important to understand the emotional turmoil that can that someone can go through when niching down, when deciding what is their podcast going to be about. You know, this was a not an easy decision. In hindsight, great. I made the right decision and people can look at my success now and be like, oh, she's so smart. She picked the right niche and, or she was lucky. She, you know, has that niche podcast, but it was a good couple months of agony trying to figure out what is my podcast going to be about? Because I, I, at the time had my essential oil business going on. I also had a childbirth business going on. I'm a doula. I'm a childbirth educator. I'm also a mom. I'm also in a biracial marriage. I also am a twin. I mean, there's just like so many things I could have started a podcast about. And certainly when I was brainstorming, I've got my sheet of paper in front of me and I've got, you know, all the things that I'm an expert on or or well versed enough at to start Mm -hmm. a podcast on and what kind of things make me passionate. Essential oils were just one of those things out of a lot of things. And you know, I, I looked at, wow, I'm such a multi-passionate person. Maybe I should start a podcast that's much more broad. Maybe it'll be like the mom's podcast where we talk about alternative health and all things motherhood, right? I would have loved that. That would have been fun. But again, that advice from John Lee Dumas really just kept ringing in my head, niche down, niche down again, and then niche down till it hurts. And I looked at, all right, out of all these things, which one is the weirdest, right? Which one's the smallest, just the kind of more bizarre niche of these things? And essential oils just kept staring me in the face, right? Essential oils, mm. essential oils. And I thought, man, do I really want to start a podcast just about essential oils? Am I going to get bored of that? Are there going to be enough people interested? But I sort of visualized what would that be like? And I was like, well, I could actually have a lot of fun with this. And I looked at what else was out there and I'm like, man, you know, there's other people doing this, but no one doing it the way I would do it and no one doing it in the way that I really want to listen to their show, to be honest. So I thought, well, what would an essential oil podcast sound like that I would actually want to listen to? And so I visualized that and I was like, oh man, that could actually be really fun. And then one more time I asked myself, all right, I've niched down, I've niched down further, you know, I've niched down from holistic health, which I considered for a long time doing a podcast just on that. All right, the next level down is essential oils. What's the next level down that really hurts? 
And that was, I decided not only is my podcast going to be in this small essential oil niche area, I'm also going to cater it to one brand of essential oil users, because at the time that was my home-based business was a specific brand of essential oils. And so that's who the podcast catered to was not just all essential oil lovers, but specifically oil lovers that used one specific brand. And that mm. hurt. That one really, really hurt. <laughs> but ultimately was a great decision because it allowed me to know exactly who my listener was, exactly what they wanted to listen to, what kind of content they wanted. And it allowed me to market it better. I could go into, for example, Facebook groups that were specific to just that brand of essential oils and be like, hey guys, I got the show for you, right? And those people resonated. And so it is painful to think about out of the, you know, what, how many are 14 billion people on the planet or whatnot that could listen to your show I'm going to narrow it down to, you know, a couple million or maybe out of those couple million people that use that one product, how many are actually on a podcast app? I was like, mm. oh, that hurts, you know, that that kind of hurts. But reality is when you when you're in a small niche, when you have a, a small industry that you work in, you don't need a million people, right? You don't need millions of listeners to find success. I found success on a base of 10,000 listeners huge success out of that because I know who that person is like in my heart and soul. I understand that person. So I know how to give them content they want and create products that they love too, that I can sell to them as well. Like those, those two things are much easier for me because of the leveling niching down that I did. Let's shift a little bit and talk about how your show has evolved. Because you've had a show for five years. Clearly, it's evolved. One of the things I know you do is you have a quote at the beginning of each episode. Now, has that always been the case? I don't know. I haven't listened to all 280 some odd episodes. And that's just one example. I really love that. But what are some of the ways that the show itself has evolved? And, and more importantly, why did it evolve in that way? Yeah, yeah. Lots of evolutions have happened. Absolutely. But one consistent thing is the quote at the beginning of each episode. I'm a huge fan of formatting in podcasting. And this is something I teach in the academy too. I give lots of examples of shows and just how they format their each episode. Um, because I think as a podcaster, especially if you're doing a weekly show, having just a, a go-to consistent format can help you with that creative process immensely. And also on the listenership side, when there's a, a predictability in what they can expect when they tune in, they really appreciate that. And people are sometimes like, oh, aren't they going to get bored if they know exactly what to expect? Like, absolutely not. Think about any TV sitcom or TV show for that matter, you know, like when you tune into the wheel of fortune, you don't expect to see like Vanna White all of a sudden doing a dance routine, right? Like you don't expect that you expect what you get. And so I'm just, I'm a huge fan of formatting. So I start every episode off with a quote because I'm just a quote geek. I love them. I get so much inspiration from them. And then I go into my podcast theme music and intro. And that has actually stayed the same for all what is almost six, six years plus that we've been doing the show. And then there's always an interview or usually very rarely I'll do a solo episode. And then I put my commercial breaks, breaks at roughly the same places. So that's all stayed very, very consistent. One thing that's changed is I started, I added in a new segment to my show. I forget when that was, I, maybe two years in or a year and a half in, 
where I started adding in a my favorite oil of the week. You know, I, I realized mm. that people really wanted to hear like what what Samantha thinks about essential oils, what Samantha's using, because I can very easily focus more on the host, you know, just being the host and asking the questions. But I was like, oh, people really want to know what I think or what I'm using. So I started adding in that segment at the beginning. And then the other segment that stayed consistent too, I just, I'm a segment person. I love segments is a, a DIY recipe that's been submitted by one of the listeners that I'll read on the show. So have, if you can have some sort of element to your podcast that involves your audience somehow, that's always, they always just love that. And I, I love that as well to involve the community somehow. So, you know, every week I'll be like, Susan submitted this diffuser recipe and, and here it is. And that's been really, really fun. So um, mm. those are a lot of things that have stayed consistent and changed. I'd say the biggest evolutionary change that has sort of swung back and forth is how much I focus on the brand of essential oils. I think at the beginning of the show, it was like, it was too thick. It was too heavy. It's like, oh, if you're not using this brand, then like you suck, right? And I've evolved <laughs> to be a sure. little bit more, you know, hey, maybe someone's listening for the first time. They've never even heard of these different brands. So how can we be a little bit more clever about that and more gentle? So at the end of the day, it's still a show catered to people who are in that community, but I've learned to approach it in a way that's much more welcoming and inviting for like a first time listener who, you know, could care less what brand we're talking about. Mm. Well, yeah, subtlety matters, right? And if you're, yeah. if you're too heavy handed, uh, it will be perceived in the wrong way, or you're going to get the wrong reaction, especially from a new listener. I really love what you said too, about you're, you're big into structure and to segments. I think that's a really strong takeaway for anybody that's thinking about, okay, how can they make their show stand out? Well, you want your listener to have that consistent vibe and feel. And you do that by having some consistency in your approach and the structure of your show. Amazing, amazing advice. Some amazing advice that Charles gave me. I already have one of those things, by the way. I have a battery that does that. I just have too many lights and too many things going on that not everything's backed up. And the internet and the house went out, which I don't have it backed up there. So, uh, But rest assured, it's good advice. And for anybody that wants to know what that advice is, it's to have a battery that's got a backup. And so I'm actually using my battery backup to power a Epic speaker for my bike. So truth be told, I guess I need to get my priorities in line, but I do like loud music when I'm on my bike. So with that, I want to talk a little bit about the beginning of your show's success, specifically that I know you ranked fairly high, fairly quick. And I know at least one contributing factor is the title, what else stands out or what else did you do to get some early followers, early subscribers to your show? Yeah. So early on, I will just reemphasize that I, I think the keyword essential oils really was the number one factor for that organic growth. But next up, I'd say was that I was already involved in those communities, right? I'd been working my essential oil business for, I think it was a year, maybe a year and a half at that time. And I was all in, I was all into that community. So I was very involved in those Facebook groups and just, I had a bit of a network already built around that. It wasn't big, but it wasn't completely from scratch. And so I made those connections and I was able to get my podcast, you know, the launch in front of those communities relatively easily because I wasn't like this rando stranger coming into Facebook groups being like, sure. hey, everyone, I've got a podcast you'd love, right? People already knew me in those areas. And that really, really helped. 
And then the third thing was I really went for the big hitters in my industry for those early episodes. You know, you know, mm. no one would recognize these like big hitters in the industry, but just as an example, some kind of mini celebrities in my industry are like the Ula guys. There's the there's there's this brand, these two guys that do personal development. They're very well known in the specific essential oil community that I'm in. They're kind of like these superheroes, these celebrities when you're at conferences, you know, they've got the line out the door for people trying to, you know, get signatures from them and stuff. So they were episode number three on my podcast was an interview with the Ula guys. And that really cemented, you know, like, oh, this chick's not messing around, right? <laughs> this chick's got the Ula guys on. And I just kept going after those big hitters, those big names in my industry. And I think that I'll admit that was probably easier to achieve back in 2015, 2016 than it is now because of, there's just more competition. There's, mo you know, those many celebrities probably get hit up for interviews for podcasts more now than they used to. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try and really try to position. I mean, I was nobody, nobody knew me, but I positioned myself as, you know, hey, I'm creating this resource for our community you know, and I, I don't really remember what those early pitches were, but it was something like, you know, I'm not messing around, <laughs> like, come on to the show. This is <laughs> going to be great. And then just second piece of advice for trying to get those big hitters on your show is, you know, look for a book launch. When are they? I got I got Sean Stevenson on my podcast really early on, early on. He's I don't know if he still is the number one in health and wellness, um, the model health show, very big in, in the health and wellness industry, especially for podcasts. And I booked him on my show because he was doing a book launch about his sleep mm. book. And I timed that ask, you know, for around that time. I was like, hey, come on to my show and talk about sleep. And, and so that was a huge boost as well. So getting that authority early on, people tend to want to wait. They're like, oh, like, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm nobody yet. Let me wait. Mm. Let me wait a couple months and then I'll ask those big people for interviews. It's like, mm -mm -mm, ask early, early, early on and just do yeah. everything. Be creepy internet stalker and do everything you can to get them. So on step one, show. be weird. Step two, be creepy. I, exactly. I like the themes we got here. Well, and it's so true though, because there's credibility by association. And when you bring people on your show, not only is it telling your audience that you're a credible expert, an authority in your space, but also it's telling future guests that you're somebody that other noteworthy people are saying, yeah, I want to be in this person's orbit and super strong advice there. So let's talk more about this idea of findability or discoverability. We talked a little bit about SEO of the show title and you even say prioritize SEO over coolness. So, and I know there's more too, right? There's like how to get reviews and doing contests. So like, what are some really actionable things that somebody maybe hasn't thought about that they could start to implement to find and attract more people? And I also love, by the way, that you already were entrenched into your space a year prior. And that was a great lead in, which is some great advice as well. But what other tips do you have in that realm? Yeah, yeah, great. You know, I think people underestimate reviews, ratings and reviews. I, I'm a big fan of trying to get those ratings and reviews early on. They do make a difference in your search result rankings and they make a difference for someone who's willing to hit that play button. You know, there's so many podcasts out there now when people are searching through and they see that your show has, you know, two reviews and a three-star rating and like a couple negative comments under it, like they're probably not going to give it a chance. So I know there's conflicting advice out there about how much time you should put into getting those ratings and reviews, but I personally think that they can make a very big difference. And so just an, like an actionable example of something I did 
for the first six weeks of my show launch, I ran a contest. I ran like a fun prize giveaway for people who were willing to write ratings and reviews. Um, and that process can be a little sticky since Apple Podcasts specifically doesn't share that user information. So just be, be willing to set up like a little landing page, a little form submission that's on an easy to remember URL you know, don't make it your podcast name.com slash enter my free giveaway dash February 2021. Um, make it something really easy that people can type in, go to submit their form. If you want to have them submit proof of leaving a rating and review, like a screenshot or something, you can. If you want to just go more on trust, that's definitely easier. So for the first six weeks, that was, you know, hey, we're a new show you know, we'd love to get your feedback, leave us a rating and review and go enter to win our big gift basket giveaway. And it was, of course, stock full of all these essential oil goodies that my community would really value. And that helped us get a lot of ratings and reviews very early on, which again, gives you that authority for people to be like, oh, she's not messing around again. <laughs> mm. Have you done it again since? And, and what are some of the other building blocks that were helpful in making that successful. Yeah, so the I have not done that again actually because I honestly feel like I've got enough ratings and reviews now to to kind of show the new person coming onto my show like oh people like this show right. So besides that, there's not much advantage to getting you know two thousand reviews versus like a thousand reviews. There's not too much of a difference there. So I haven't done it again. But the things that I think made that successful in the beginning was a having the prize be relevant to my niche, to my community, right? Making it big. I can't remember what it was honestly. Probably a, a diffuser and like a gift basket of oils or something. But something that you know. And again, you have to understand who your podcast is for, who your ideal listener is, so that you can. Right take advantage of these strategies, but you know, what do they really want? Do they, you know, do they care about a, a free coaching session with you? If you're, if you're new and starting out, I don't know, probably not, but people love stuff, right? <laughs> people really love free stuff. I had a friend that launched a show about agriculture and, and farming. And so she did a, a giveaway for like these really fancy gardening shears. And it was like the Cadillac of gardening shears. Right. And even me, you know, was listening to her show. I was like, I want that. That sounds shiny and new, you know, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> so that's awesome. I think that's really helpful. And then just making it as easy as possible for people to enter to win. Like I said, make your URL for them to enter that form really easy, really short and sweet. And I personally did not have them put in proof of leaving a rating and review because that was just a very complicated step. I was like, I just rather trust that people have done it and go from there. Mm, great advice again. And so let's talk a little bit about now that you've attracted a following, how do you keep the following? You you mentioned before that you have already part of some groups and a community. Do you suggest building a community that's specific for your podcast or doing other things to help to really have the interactions with your listeners? What have you done in that respect? Yeah, this is probably one of those do as I say and not do as I do moments because I really do believe if you can You're create... doing a lot well though. You're doing <laughs> a lot well. So you're entitled, believe me. There are so many things I believe me. I'm the most guilty of what you just said. So yeah. don't worry about that, Sam. Just go ahead Love and tell it. us what you think we should do. Not I think necessarily you what you've start done. A community for your <laughs> for your podcast. I really do. I think that having a two-way street between host and and listeners, if if it's relevant, you know, some shows that are 
I don't know. It's, I'm trying to think if there's a show that couldn't benefit from having a community. And it's kind of hard to think of, of an example. So really pretty much anyone can benefit from having a community for their group. Now, the the hard part of that is, okay, where does that community live? And for a long time, you know, Facebook groups was probably the easiest and the best and arguably still is, even though a lot of people hate Facebook now and there's not as many users on it. But Instagram, and this really comes down to who you are and where your niche is and where are your ideal listeners hanging out already, preferably, sure. you can create a community in one of those aspects. But, um, you know, having having a two-way street of communication between you and your listeners is can be hugely of, uh, effective in maintaining those listeners and growing because it's, you know, if there's a, a place where people can just bring in their people and be like, oh, you got to join this community Sometimes that's someone's first interaction versus listening to your podcast first, right? We still know that not everyone listens to podcasts. I don't know who those people are. They're crazy, but some people <laughs> aren't yet, you know, addicted to podcasts like you and I are. And so if they can get an introduction to a community first and be like, oh, you know, I like these people, they get me and then be like, oh, well, they all listen to this podcast, then they're probably likely yeah. to, to go listen. So having that two-way communication community aspect is uh is huge that's something i i've been really bad at myself because oh man i'm just i'm just very resistant to adminning and keeping you know, track <laughs> of a facebook group it's just one of those things i yeah. don't want to do <laughs> yeah well and there are only so many hours in the day and you're running a successful business you have your family which i know you care deeply about and really that's the 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 fuel you need to to do everything that you do and so as we wrap up here, I have a couple other uh, just quick areas that I want to focus on. And one is monetization. So what, what do people get wrong when it comes to monetization? And what advice or best practices do you have for getting it right? Yeah. The number one mistake people made is make is they assume that paid advertising and sponsorships is the only or best way to monetize their show. And that's just absolutely not true. I make a lot of money from paid sponsorships and, and ads, but that didn't start till like a year, a year and a half in to my podcast. And that's still not where most of my revenue comes in. Most of it comes from understanding my audience and creating products that I know they would like. So whether that's an online course, an ebook, a digital product, a coaching service, something that you have control over, um, if you are able to create something that you know your audience would love, then create it and and market it to them on your podcast. One of my students the other day, we were we were having a little coaching session on our group coaching call, and and she just never really thought about her podcast in that way before. She, you know, she was asking questions about paid advertising. She's like, oh, you know, I don't really know how to find sponsors that work for my show and my following is still pretty small. So, you know, I was like, honestly, where you're at right now, you're, you're going to make peanuts, you know, if you do paid sponsorships, but you know, you are a therapist. Like she's a really good therapist. I'm like, <laughs> do you ever sure. tell your audience that they can book a therapy session with you? And she was like, no, I mean, I guess they know I'm a therapist. And I was like, how do they know that? Do you, do you tell them that? And she's like, no, I think I just assume they know that about me. I'm like, well, they don't know unless you tell them every single episode, like, hey, start your therapy with me. Go, you know, go to this website and, and book a coaching session now. And I was like, how much more money would you make if you got even just five new clients a month with that service 
And she was like, oh my God, that would make a huge difference. I'm like, so don't waste your time chasing down sponsors that aren't gonna resonate with your audience anyway. Use your podcast as a platform to advertise your own services. And she was just like, I never even thought about having like an ad for my own product on my own podcast. <laughs> it's It can be very effective. You know, there's a lot of podcasters who don't do any paid sponsorships or advertising. They only advertise their own products. And that makes a lot of sense if you have a business that offers, you know, enough products or enough high ticket items that monetarily that makes sense. So you kind of, the smaller your niche is typically the more money you'll make by creating offers yourself versus if you have a broader show, you know, like this American life or radio lab where they've got millions of listeners, then it makes more sense to just do paid advertising pretty much or ask for donations. But, uh, I feel like that's yeah. where people get it wrong the most. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And so, you know, normally I don't ask a question that's that is a suggested question, but I know you have on your one sheet you have a suggested question which intrigued me. So I have to ask this one question. And that oh, which is which one is it? What do you think about the podcast war going on between <laughs> Apple and Spotify? So I want to hear your answer to that question. It intrigued me. So uh yeah, tell me. I think it's fascinating. And I just, you know, I've been a, a lover of podcasts forever. And, you know, or forever for my age, it's like, you know, 2014 or 2013 started really listening to a lot of podcasts. And for the longest time, you know, it's just Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts was pretty much, you know, what 80, I think 80% of listeners listen through Apple Podcasts up until just recently, you know, Spotify came in and started investing billions of dollars into getting their podcast listenership up. And now they're about to outpace Apple, which I just find, you know, astonishing. And it kind of makes me a little bit sad, although it's hard to feel sad for a multi-billion dollar company, but it kind of hurts my heart <laughs> a little bit to think about, man, you know, if it wasn't for Apple, you know, I'm sure podcasts would have found a home and they would have, you know, thrived and, and found their footing somewhere. But we can't deny that Apple really had a huge influence in I mean, the word pod, you know, iPod, that's where podcasting, the word right. comes from. So, you know, but they really screwed the pooch on just like investing in podcasting and keeping the industry growing and evolving with the times. They really, in my opinion, completely ignored a lot of things they could have been doing. It wasn't until Spotify came in and was like, all right, let's like treat this seriously and then let's invest lots and lots of money into this that now I see Apple kind of backpedaling a bit like if that if it weren't for Spotify coming in I wonder if Apple Podcasts ever would have actually come out with the new you know subscriber model where now you can subscribe for money to a show and get bonus content right. or ad free listening which is I think a great development but I doubt it would have happened as early or even at all if it wasn't for you know a competitor coming in and being like scaring the shit out of Apple right <laughs> Yeah, no, it's 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 so true, right? And sometimes it takes a competitor to make us better. And in that case, the Apple, you know, Apple needed Spotify to make them better, right? And I think, it, you know, thankfully, Spotify did what they've done, which is exactly what you said, which is invest, take podcasting seriously. And it's clear they're putting their money where their mouth is. And now they're the ones that are, really setting the bar for what it means to operate in this space. So Samantha Lee Wright 
you first of all, go check out the book, Pineapple Podcasting, The Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Creating, Launching, and Monetizing a Podcast with Zero Experience on a Shoestring Budget. You could also check out her show, The Essential Oil Revolution. She's also, of course, on Instagram. She's got a great YouTube channel. And I highly, highly encourage you to go check out Pineapple Podcast Academy. As she already said, it's super affordable. All her students are telling her to charge more. So before she listens to her students, go there, pineapplepodcasting.com. That's pineapplepodcasting.com. And definitely go follow her on Instagram. Give her some love over there. What did I miss, Sam? Tell us where else we could find you. Well, I think the only thing you missed is that you said I had a great YouTube channel and I, I really don't. So don't go to... <laughs> Don't uh, expect greatness for me over there. Um, but other than that, that's really my home base is samanthaleewright.com. So if you're looking for other offerings, I have a free uh, free webinar. If you want just sort of the basic beginner steps of podcasting, you can find that there at samanthaleewright.com. Awesome. Well, it's been an absolute joy. So, so excited to have the opportunity to talk with you. I'm also a, a big believer like you are that it's better to be done than to be perfect. And I think in podcast land, it could not be any more true. And I think we all need to just press record and keep recording, give ourselves the ability to mess up and make messy progress. And you've, for the last five years, you've really showed how you can find something very specific, hone in on that, deliver an amazing product. For anyone listening, go listen to the podcast and listen to what a well-executed, a structured a podcast with amazing segments and really strong message that delivers value to core followers and subscribers, go listen to Sam's show. Thanks so much for being on For the Love of Podcasts. And we'll talk to you all very, very soon. Thanks so much, Billy. 